In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash. And I'm Mike Bobbitt, and this is Ideal Remake. You are listening to Ideal Remake, and once this podcast gets up to 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Joining us today is the king of podcasts, it's Scott Corelli. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Did you ever know that you were the king of podcasts, Scott? Uh, I, I did not. Uh, the, I'm just sliding right past it. It uh, makes me feel weird. How many podcasts do you have exactly on your network? And, and can you tell our listeners what your network is? Uh, yeah, it's a dueling genre. Um, and I think we have somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 12 to 16 ish. There's a few that's en- that have ended. So, uh, it's hard to keep track of all of them. And you basically break down movies minute by minute. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the only thing we do, but that's, that is a, that is a, a large side of what we do. Uh, I think the reason that I'm here today is that we, uh, I, I was one of the hosts of back to the future minute where we, uh, broke down the back to the future movies one minute at a time. So, you know, uh, connection, I guess there. <laughs> so I don't have to be the trivia master this time. You have it all locked in. loaded. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I basically have like a PhD in back to the future at this point. <laughs> What's been your what? favorite movie to break down minute by minute? Ooh. Uh, yes, Scott, which of your children is your favorite <laughs> of, of, of the three back to the future movies? You mean? No, of any of the movies. Uh, Cause you also do Spider-Man minute. Yeah. And he, and he does the Cornetto minute. Right. And they're, and they're, uh, depriving us of scott pilgrim versus the world unless we give them money it's it's all a, a horrible a horrible thing and they're gonna get my money eventually because i'm just not gonna be able to resist it anymore <laughs> i mean the reason we did that literally the only reason is that somebody else stole scott pilgrim out from under us despite us owning the url and the twitter handles and everything um, oh really yeah yeah they went and started it on their own uh oh no and so then no. we were like oh okay well we don't want to just put out like another like a competing Scott Pilgrim, so we just made it a Patreon exclusive as a like sort of a side thing. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but uh, what, as far as my my favorite, I think my favorite was probably Back to the Future Three. Um, oh, okay, yeah, Ooh, and, interesting. And the reason the reason was just because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in that movie that uh, I was really interested in and was able to like sort of. Um, I don't know, dig into. And it was sort of the conclusion of all the timelines. So I really got into timeline theory and things like that. Uh, it was, that one was a lot of fun. Uh, the other two were as well, but uh, the other two, I don't know, everything was uh, more on front street, I guess, as far as um, uh, discussion topics. It's like, yeah, now we're discussing this because it's happening in the movie. Uh, part three had some stuff that they would just sort of mention and then sweep under the rug and move on. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, little details that I got to dig into. I, I, I drew like a timeline map for uh, the Back to the Future trilogy, and it's way more complicated than you would think. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, Mike, Scott also has a narrative podcast called Geek by Night, which is super fun. And Mike, you definitely would enjoy because it's basically about a bunch of comic book nerds who get super... No, it's not true. It's about a couple comic book nerds and their friends who get uh, superpowers, <laughs> and the comic book nerds force them to remain comic book nerds forever. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, it's entirely up your alley. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank, thanks for the plug, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite minute of Back to the Future 3 is the minute where the child extra, essentially, is pointing to his crotch and then looking to someone off screen mm-hmm. to let someone know that he needs to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Is that why he's doing that? Yes. Oh. Yeah, but he thought it was out of frame and it just wasn't out of frame. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's why, right. that's why he's... That's why he's his, arms are stiff at his side and he's just using his hand because he thought his hand would be out of frame but it wasn't 
Aww. <laughs> Aww. That's too bad. So is Back but... to the Future 3 your favorite movie of the trilogy, though? Oh, no, no, no. The first one is definitely my favorite. The first one is a perfect movie. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, it is, I, for my money, yeah. Like, the closest thing to a perfect movie I think we can possibly have. Uh, it's, it's everything that I love about screenwriting and screenwriting structure, like just the way that it's put together and uh, the way that it is able to be both a plot heavy movie and a character movie. Like I, I, you know, they just don't make movies like that anymore, which is why uh, remaking it would be problematic because uh, it would probably, they'd probably add like, you know, sky beams or something. I don't know. Something to make it a international threat to the universe or I don't know something uh, because the stakes aren't quite high enough if uh, it's just about this whether or not this one kid is going to survive okay so Scott where did you first see this movie who was the first person who showed you this movie Uh, my dad um, my my dad was the first one because I actually uh, he took me to Universal Studios. I was living living in Florida, and he took me to Universal Studios when uh, the Back to the Future ride opened, and he was describing to me what the ride was, uh, where you know you go back in time and a dinosaur eats you and spits you back out. And I was uh, five years old, and that sounded like the most horrifying thing anyone <laughs> had ever described to me. And uh, and I refused to go on the ride. And my dad was like, okay, well, that was probably a mistake describing the ride ahead of time. Uh, so he, I had never seen Back to the Future, so I didn't understand what I was in for. And he was like, okay, we're going to go home. We're going to watch Back to the Future. And then we watched it. And I was like five years old and I was just totally enraptured by those movies. And then I watched, I watched all three movies just over and over and over and over and over again, like my entire childhood. Um, they were my favorite movies uh, ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until I didn't see Star Wars until I was 10 when the THX re-releases came out in 95 and so that, those were the first time I'd ever seen Star Wars and then and then at that point it was like those two trilogies I would just go back and forth with um, but from like 5 to 10 Back to the Future that's all I ever watched awesome what about you Sam oh this is gonna be embarrassing I've said on the podcast before my movie watching experience as a child was both extremely limited and deeply troubling so I'm trying I know where I watched this movie and I know who I watched it with for the first time I'm just trying to determine what my age was and unfortunately i think i might have been in college so i I definitely watched all three of these movies over one spring break but i don't know if it was a high school spring break or a college spring break and i know i watched it with andrew madden uh basically just like sitting on the couch in the in his room and i think what we ended up doing was we watched the first one one night and at that point it was like one o'clock in the morning i was like i gotta go home and go to sleep and then the next time we met up we watched uh two and three back to back i was 13 on july 3rd 1985 when back to the future came out and i'm certain i saw it a couple times in the movie theater i was so into it i'm embarrassed by this too that it means i was probably in high school when at some point in time someone gave me a pair of doc brown future glasses that he has at the end of the movie and when i was certainly old enough to know better i wore doc brown future sunglasses out in public (laughs) not as a goof so nice the reason i wasn't very popular (laughs) with anyone in high school may have a lot to do with how much i like back to the future (laughs) particularly doc brown's wardrobe Amazing. That is fantastic. Um, Let's talk about this movie. Now, part of Back to the Future is that, I mean, aside from Sam, I think we can safely assume most people have either seen this movie or have been so inundated with popular culture about this movie that they basically know what it is. Mm -hmm. So in lieu of giving kind of like a step-by-step walkthrough of what the movie is, I will just refer them to Back to the Future Minute. And now we can... (laughs) Yes, listen uh, to all 345 episodes of Back to the Future Minute and then come back here. And listen to the rest of this. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's what I'm suggesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. And we'll pause while you do that. Welcome back to Ideal Remake. <laughs> it's been three <laughs> years. <laughs> well, I mean, they may have listened to it on double time if they're monsters. So, Scott, you said that this is a perfect movie. Is there anything about Back to the Future that doesn't work for you? In the first Back to the Future, I mean, there are, there are like, little things. Like, I don't, I don't love the, the Biff almost raping Lorraine scene. Um, I, I, I wish that there was a different way to do that, uh, same problem, you know? Um, I don't, so I don't love that. I wish there were more female characters, uh, and I, I am generally not a, the biggest fan of, uh, the mom being in, into her son thing. Um, that'd be like the first thing I would cut. It's like, it's, it's cute or whatever for a while, I guess back then, but you know, now I don't think you could remake it and, and do it and, uh, not have it be incredibly problematic in so many ways. Um, but I will say most of the really problematic stuff in back to the future was thankfully cut out in the editing process. There was some really problematic jokes about like Marty wondering if he was going to turn gay because yeah. he was, he kissed his mom and like stuff like that where they filmed it and then they just cut it out of the movie because they're like, yeah, this isn't the movie we're making. Uh, and thankfully they did that. So like most of the stuff that I really don't like isn't in the movie anymore, thankfully. Right. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I own the trilogy and to rewatch it this time since I've seen Back to the Future so many times, I watched it with a commentary and learned a lot of stuff and watched all the deleted scenes. And I don't think that there were any deleted scenes that really needed to be in the movie anymore. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, we all have that encased in metallic blue copy of the trilogy, right? Although, Scott, I'm, I'm assuming you have it on Blu-ray at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely did have that version that you're talking about, yes. I remember going to, uh, it, growing up in Tucson, there's a gigantic used bookstore, like, the size of a Barnes & Noble, and it's this Tucson institution to the point where I've always been surprised that such a thing doesn't really exist in other places. Uh, and this place is called Bookman's. And I remember being so excited when I found a cop like, that copy of the trilogy of Back to the Future there that I was like, I can get this and I can get this with Bookman's credit. Yeah, I'm going to own Back to the Future. <laughs> awesome. And it's it's great. So I kind of want us to just sort of dive in to talk about what this movie is and what it represents and the sort of thing that we would need to do if we were going to be turning around and remaking it. Because mm-hmm. one of the things I think we need to talk about is if, well, when the movie came out, the present day in that movie was the present day in the movie. Mm-hmm. Or the present day when the movie came out was the present day in the movie. And if we were to make that now, is that the sort of thing that we would want to do? Because it'd be hard to make it a period piece about people going back in time. Although that's certainly something we could do. Um, I, Scott, I, know- I, I, I think one of the things that um, was really strong about w- how uh, Robert Zemeckis chose to direct the original Back to the Future was that you know he and, and Bob Gale really leaned into the 1985 of it all which you know it was 1985 at the time but they were really sort of leaning into the pop culture of the time and everything and i think they leaned into it so hard that instead of dating the movie it makes it a period piece before it could possibly be a period piece it's like the weirdest thing it's the weirdest phenomenon because it is a modern day movie when you watch it in 1985 but when you watch it now the movie's not dated because it leans so hard into those pop culture references it feels like a period piece and so my my pitch would actually just be to go back a couple years and have it set in like 2015 you'd you'd want it set in the time period that had been the uh 
the future for the sequel? Yeah, I would, I would say so. And, and the reason I say that is because I don't know how many directors would be able to do what Zemeckis did with Back to the Future and, and really take a good hard look at 2018 and be like, what makes 2018 special? But I think if we, if we go back like a couple, you know, a few years, um, I think that it would, it would help. And I also, I just like the roundness of 2015. I mean, you could go back to 2010, I guess, also. But, like, I just, I like the round round numbers um, more than I like, uh, you know, something, some random time period like 2018. Feels a little random, even though it's well, not because we're living in it. But, you know. Sure, but that was also kind of going to be my pitch. Because by the time we pitch this movie, and they obviously choose to make it, by the time this movie comes out, it will be 2020. Yeah. So my pitch was going to be 2020, 1990, uh, 1990, 2050. Interesting. Yeah, hmm. I would. I I I want. I I would want. Uh, I would want 2015 because then they would be going back to 1985 when the movie originally released. Interesting. Yeah, it could be a nice nod to that. Yeah, because my because my, my my pitch is that uh, when Marty goes back in time, his 1950s clothes, which would be in 1985, are the Marty McFly like the 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 puffer vest and that that's like the outfit that that Doc Brown gives him to wear to blend into the 80s. His Coast Guard outfit? Yeah, his Coast Guard outfit, exactly. <laughs> One thing I would uh, say in defense of making it a 2018 movie going back to 1988 is I like visually the way the eights look, you know, kind of like the infinity sign is kind of a nice symbol for yeah, you gotta, time You gotta hit 88 too. to go back to 88. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the part of it that I don't like. <laughs> it's like too many, <laughs> too many 88s. Um, look, speaking as someone who was born in 88, I'm pretty sure that yeah, that year is the only thing perfection comes from. Yeah, I, I beg to differ. I was born in 85, sir, so. <laughs> ah, see, there's the real reason. <laughs> <laughs> 72 is pretty nice too, guys, right? It's fine. <laughs> it's, sure, sure. I mean, I, I don't have anything negative to say. <laughs> okay, so Mike, um, when you... You were first sitting down uh, to watch this movie and you were 13 years old. Did you immediately connect with uh, Marty? I'm assuming just because he's Michael J. Fox and everyone connects to Marty. Um, I think because I was a kid who was trying to learn how to play guitar back then. Yeah, there was definitely, you know, Marty was the cool vision or a cool version of what I certainly wanted to be back then. I, I thought Marty was the coolest kid around. And yeah, I, you know, I was a couple years younger than the Marty McFly character, who is a few years younger than Michael J. Fox in real life. So yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, 16 year olds are so cool. I can be like Marty McFly. So that brings me to my next question. Because you were so close in age to Marty when the movie came out, out, what was like what were like the key tent poles of what that character was that really spoke to you as a child at that time was it the guitar playing was it the wardrobe yeah i think it was the guitar playing uh, more so than anything else I, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to you sam but i've been wearing uh either band t-shirts or star wars t-shirts right now i'm wearing an it crowd t-shirt uh, <laughs> pretty much <laughs> since 1977 so you know i i have a good 41 years of wearing the exact same clothes but you know his well, wardrobe was pretty nondescript for the 80s there wasn't anything that really stuck out as him being particularly cool or not cool by the way he dressed he just kind of dressed like an average kid in the 80s to celebrate the festivities i am wearing my what lorraine what shirt uh that is available at <laughs> duelinggenre.com slash merch Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> one of the things i do like about setting it in the present now is we'll be able to have a much more racially diverse cast right by going back 30 years I agree. And actually, one of the things that I did uh, for my recasting is I made, uh, I, gen I gender swapped Marty. Mm. Uh, and because, 
again, Marty making out with his mom is a little bit problematic, but one of the things that I did instead was, uh, in the remake, I want Marty to be gay. Like, so she is still dating Jennifer, so it's still Marty and Jennifer, but this time Lorraine, his mom, doesn't really approve of that. And then they go back in time, and Marty learns that uh, in the 80s, and also currently, his his mom was bi. Like, I want that connection to still be happening. And Marty's like, what? No, this is a completely different thing. And, like, learning more, like, kind of learning more about the sort of person his mom was, but then whatever happened with Biff and, like, kind of, tur- like, made, like, pu- public opinion kind of shut down and was, uh, I can't think of the term that I want to use, but uh, one of those things where uh, the person was kind of forced to be something they weren't and they kind of, like, locked into that, mm. which is a thing people are dealing with now like the whole conversion therapy kind of and i want to kind of comment on like how people can kind of get stuck into something like believing something believing something believing something but when they actually acknowledge who they can be as a person that it's a little bit more offering okay so so i i don't i i um i like where your head's at it's interesting that you that i that you went with the with that story with with those characters because i actually have it with my doc brown um i gender Mm -hmm. swap my doc brown and i and i and i made it so that there is uh you know she is essentially asexual the way that doc brown is in in the movies right but when she goes back in time and meets clara she realizes that she wasn't asexual so much as she was closeted you know or like afraid to come out in the 80s Um, interesting yeah and so so that that was that was where the change was because i don't know the 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 uh, the mom I just really don't like the I really don't like the mom being into her son or and or daughter thing it it creeps it skeeves me out in like a way and then like throwing in the the homosexuality angle just adds like some like skeevy I, I don't know too too easy commentary for people who are against that sort of thing um of like oh yeah look how deviant they are like they're in love with their own son like you know i don't know if, uh, it makes me very un- it makes me very uncomfortable i guess like <laughs> like it, i don't i don't want to make things easy for anybody and the idea that like it's all well and good to be like yeah be who you are like she should have been who she was but if she is who she is then marty doesn't exist anymore that's why i specifically said bye well I, 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 I know but she's there's nothing to come to terms with because nothing changes i guess you know, that's true. You're right. Yeah, You're right. that that that's uh, that's the only thing. I feel like there's just too many. I can just see all the think pieces in the future, and I'm just like, oh no. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I don't know. Anyway, well then, then here's my follow up question to you. I mean, yeah. you gen- you gender swapped Doc. Are we going to be talking about all three movies or just the first movie? Because I kept thinking, well, when they go to the future, well, when they go to the future, right? And then my brain clicked over. I'm like, they don't go to the future. This is just them going to the past. So yeah. Doc isn't even necessarily going to be meeting Clara in this movie. That's true, but you know, you the, look. No, this is this isn't a defense of, of my thing. I'm I'm just kind of trying to talk through the idea, right? I mean, my my thought process is you make a really great character who is obviously a lesbian, but we don't really go into it. Um, and then you can save that for uh, you know a sequel or whatever. I mean, just the same way as Doc in the original like the you know doc in the original doesn't have any romantic interests until the third movie um and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i i I, yeah and so i my yeah i mean my thing is is like you're you're gonna remake this there's no way that this isn't going to be a setup for a franchise i mean it's just you know (laughs) like no one is going to remake no studio is going to remake this and be like yeah we're just gonna do the one just the one um, it's fine. Uh, we're definitely not going to create a Back to the Future shared universe. Um, that's not something we're going to do. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to focus on the first one. But, yeah. you know, maybe keep in mind the idea of if we do this in the first one, then it would leave this open for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I agree I, with both of your points. Mm-hmm. 
that that said, Scott, you just said this. If they were going to do a shared universe, which they should not, what is the one uh, franchise like out in the universe that? you think would be a shared universe with Back to the Future? Oh, oh man, that's a good question. Because it's got to be something in the 80s, right? Like the only thing that I can think of that would be a shared universe off the top of my head is um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Because <laughs> it's like a heightened, all these crazy things are happening. The principal is way too aggressive. It's so weird to think that time travel exists somewhere in the Ferris Bueller universe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in a, in a separate timeline, uh, that red car is what got picked instead of the DeLorean. Oh man, that's crazy. I believe there was something uh, somewhere about how a lot of John Hughes movies share the same universe as well, too. Yeah, they do. They all take place in the the fictional Shermer, Illinois. Right. Yeah. So that means it also takes place in the same universe as Breakfast Club. Right. Oh, that's why there's so many Molly Ringwalds running around. Time travel. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I mean, that explains it. Yeah. I, I mean, there's also the theory that uh, Sheriff Spieler's day off is just all in Cam's head. But, right. But I don't know. I, I've never liked that theory. Well, no, because then the movie doesn't exist, and that's not fun. It's just just a sad guy sitting quietly alone. Yeah. So outside of the uh, the Ferris Bueller's and the and the uh, John Hughes movies, where where in the cinematic history does Back to the Future fall? Like, what what is its what are its like brother and sister movies of the time period? Ghostbusters. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Like I I could see this living in a Ghostbusters style world. Similar technology. You know, yeah. like it, they like the I mean, I mean, like the literal look of the tech looks very similar or it just looks very thrown together in your garage. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, here's a box. Hand wavy, hand wavy does magic things. Right. Here's exactly. A little preview for our next episode, just because Ghostbusters came up. Sam, when you watch They Live for the next episode of Ideal Remake, the tools that some of the characters and They Live use are the PKE readers from Ghostbusters. Ooh. Oh, I remember I watched a YouTube video about that, about how like different things got reused. And it's the little stick thing with the like kind of, that, with the Y shape at the end. Yep. Mm. Ooh, I'm excited. Speaking of a I'm piece like... of tech, a uh, piece of tech with a Y shape. <laughs> plus, plus <Fuck> plus <laughs> Ooh, back on point. Well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I think okay. we're all in agreement that it would take place in some sort of present and we'd be going back to the 80s at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. uh, Scott, you broke one of the rules that Sam and I have, and you told us one of your ideas before we started recording. And I think it's a really interesting and cool idea. So let's talk about Back to the Future as a television series. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So uh, this is this is something that I'm actually um, weirdly passionate about. Um, so... <laughs> If I can't imagine why. If yeah, I know. If you were to remake Back to the Future, um, and you shouldn't, right? Like that's not a thing that you should do ever. Uh, because yeah, we'll, we'll say we'll say this like we've said in other in other uh, episodes. Never remake this movie. Right. We are hundred percent on board. Never remake this movie. That said, here we go. Yeah. Right. But, you know, and, with that in mind too, though, we did say that at the beginning of the Princess Bride episode, and I think there is a place in the world for our Princess Bride remake. So maybe I, there will I be agree. a place in the world for our Back to the Future television series. Let's see what we come up with. So, yeah. so the the idea of a Back to the Future television series it really came from uh, two things. One is that if you remade Back to the Future as a movie, right? Back to the Future is a very low-key film. Um, as far as blockbusters are concerned, it's not like an action-packed thing. It's it's really a comedy, um, primarily. Like, it has some adventurous moments. I mean, it has one of the greatest third acts ever um, in, in a blockbuster. But it's it's not an action-packed sort of movie. And I'd be afraid if you remade it they, that, that uh, studios would want to be able to sell it internationally more 
Uh, and so they would tell you to sort of scale back on the on the character driven stuff and scale up on the action adventure stuff. And then you would end up with a movie that isn't really anything like Back to the Future. Um, sort of what happened with the Ghostbusters movie in a way. Uh, you know, the Ghostbusters remake started as like, uh, yeah, no, we're going to do a low key uh, remake with female comedians and it's going to be great. And they're like, but if we gave you an extra hundred million dollars, you could turn it into this crazy thing and their ghosts could be everywhere and they fight all the ghosts in all of the New York and it's crazy and, and, and we can sell it over the seas. And then it just sort of became something that it wasn't and it got a little muddled. And I think that's what we'll have a dance number. Right. And no, no one doesn't love a good dance number. Right. Exactly. And so I think it just got a little confused um, by studio notes and things. Uh, and rather than being a character-centric piece, it became more uh, plot-heavy. And that's not what you want from Back to the Future, because that's one of the issues with the sequels. Like, the sequels are, you know, they, they have really good character moments, and for the first time, Marty has, like, a real arc uh, in the sequels. But, and, and Doc, to a certain extent. Um, but you know, with that first film, it's just so character driven. And I think that that's what's important. And those kinds of stories aren't being told in the movies right now. Uh, they're being told on television. That's and a really good point. The other, point. the other reason is that um, one of my favorite stories about the making of Back to the Future is that when uh, originally, you know, the two Bobs, Bobby Z and Bobby G, as I uh, colloquially call them, um, <laughs> they, uh, they were, you know, writing partners and working together and they had been um, working together since they were in film school together. And one of the things that Robert Zemeckis always wanted was to make a time travel movie. He didn't know anything else. He just knew that he wanted to make a time travel movie because it had been a while since anyone had tried making a time travel movie and, you know, they weren't popular. Like before Back to the Future, time travel movies tended to bomb pretty hard because they were overly complicated or whatever. Um, and they didn't have like an emotional hook to them, and which is one of the many reasons why time travel movies um, failed uh, before that and why a lot of them fail after that uh it's because they focus too much on the uh timey-wimey of it all rather than on the characters and emotional arcs um so he told you know bobby g he was like look i want to make a time travel movie but we have no idea as far as like how to do that so think about it and uh he told him this right before uh bob gale went back for i think his 10-year high school reunion and he was at home uh sort of digging through like old boxes and stuff and he came across his dad's yearbook from when his dad was in high school. And he found out that his dad was class president and was really popular and uh, all of these things. And he was like looking at these pictures of his dad and he knew nothing about this. He had no idea that his dad was so popular. He had no idea because, you know, Bob, Bob Gale was, a you know, he was kind of a loser in high school. And so seeing that his dad was like this really like popular sort of jockey kind of guy, he just couldn't help but wonder if I knew my dad, if, if my dad and I were in high school at the same time, would we be friends? And then that was the impetus that created Back to the Future, the idea of going back in time and meeting your father at, at your age and figuring out whether or not you would be friends. Now, the plot of Back to the Future being what it is, it makes the movie be this whole other thing. It becomes a whole other thing, and it really got off that. That was just the seed of the idea, and like all great movies and great ideas, they evolve and they change, and they make the, they become the best version that they could possibly be. But in a TV show, my idea would be to go back to that original idea and really dig into the relationship of Marty and his father and figure out and answer that question. Like, would you be friends with your dad if you were the same age? Um, Because I think it's something that they never really dug into because they were so 
focused on getting George and Lorraine together that George and Marty never really became friends. And in fact, in most most of the time, they're kind of antagonistic toward each other through the movie. Um, so I would really like to dig into that relationship uh, in the TV show version. What would the stakes of your television show be then if it wasn't whether or not George and Lorraine get together? I think it would be. But as a TV show, you would have like 10 episodes to do that. Right. So you're thinking sort of like a like a Netflix series more so than like an NBC series. Yes, because the NBC series of this is the bad version of a Back to the Future show where right. they go to a different time period every week. Well, mm. it, the, the NBC version is Quantum Leap. <laughs> right. Or that new show that they have about the time travelers. Well, I definitely That's- like the idea of Back to the Future as a series on Netflix where we can do the limited, hey, we have a story to tell over the course of 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if it goes well, then we can do a second. Yeah. Um, Each season, season being where- like a different time period or yeah. a, different, a different problem or whatever. Yeah. Right. So w- when you suggested that, I, I really, really like the idea. And I was hoping that you were leaning more towards like a Netflix or a Hulu series. Definitely. Um, as opposed to like a, a network series. Definitely. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. All right. Cool. If you guys, if that's the idea that you guys like, then that's the, the, the idea that works. I also don't want to, I don't want to break this. And we are, you know, ultimately. Well, it's not, <laughs> it's not breaking it, but please. Keep, well, I'm sorry. Go well, on. The, well, I also, I don't want to, I don't want to break the concept of your show. Um, and, and, <laughs> and obviously casting a TV show is a little more complicated because you don't get to cast like, you don't get to have the fun cast because you can't cast John Boyega as Marty McFly in a TV show. Like you just can't, <laughs> you know, because um, he's too big of a star. Like the fun of this is to, to really play with like the, the, mo- the movie star quality casting. Um, well, no. I, I disagree. I, I think if you look at some of the Netflix series, like Mute just had you know, uh, Paul Rudd. and Well, that was a movie, though. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we'll make it Netflix, but we'll make it a Netflix movie. Yay! Great, we're back on Sam's point. <laughs> there no, we go. Next. <laughs> I, I think the, the dividing line between television and movies is a lot thinner than it used to be. And, Scott, you're absolutely right, where the character stories and the more interesting stories and the stories that don't have explosions and car crashes and superheroes are definitely happening on television. Well, superheroes are happening on television, too. But, yeah, I, I think a story like Back to the Future has much more of a home on a platform like a, a streaming service. Mm-hmm. I think so. And too. the podcast is called Ideal Remake, not Ideal Movie Remake. So All right. that is true. That is so you true. haven't broken anything. Okay. Yeah. I do. The- I do have a movie version that I, I'll pitch. But uh, if we want to go down this uh, TV show line, then I'm I'm totally fine with that as well. Well, when you said it, a lot of my character choices have come, or actor choices have come from Netflix series. I do have some mm-hmm. movie people in there too. Um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I'm I'm cool with going down the path of streaming. I mean, either way, I don't know if that'll necessarily change our casting at all. I mean, because it's our ideal casting after all. That's true. Uh, and it's just the people that we think would best fit the role, regardless of who we think the writer or director would be. I think that for me, the only person that it would affect the most is our writer director. Yeah. Right. Who I and I did pick a writer director as opposed to a writer and director. Okay. So did I? Well, before we start breaking into our cast for our remake and discussing that, I want to tell a Tom Wilson story just because I've never really had a chance to tell this story before, and it's kind of an amusing story. Um, Tom cool. Wilson, who oh, and Scott, since you're back to the future buff, this will be kind of fun for you, maybe. <laughs> um, so Tom Wilson played Biff, and he is also a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. and he was playing locally at the Comedy Castle in Royal Oak. And has a lot of jokes about being married and having four kids. I believe he has four kids. We went there, me and my friend Steve Lind, who is a comedian here who's married and has four kids. We were just watching Tom and Steve 
loved it. And Steve kind of has a little bit of a passing resemblance to George McFly a little bit, (laughs) kind of a nerdier kind of guy, but which is funny because Steve is, was like a college baseball player and everything, but you know, not a jock by any stereotypical means. And Steve is horribly awkward and painfully shy. So after the show, Steve wanted to, his intention was to tell Tom Wilson that he really related to his material because his material was similar to his, but instead it came out, Hey, uh, you were, you're kind of doing my act. And Tom Wilson just lost his shit on Steve where he turned into Biff Tannen and he was like, what, what I'm doing your fucking bit. I'm doing your material. Where are you playing? Like bowling alleys on a Thursday night. I traveled the country doing my material. You think I'm stealing your bit? Huh? Butthead? Like totally in Steve's face. Wow. And, uh, it was so <laughs> uncomfortable. So my one experience with Tom Wilson was that he is Biff. Huh. Which is interesting because my favorite fact about Tom Wilson is the fact that growing up, he was George McFly. He was the nerd and he got picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. And But when he grew up and matured, like he happened to get really tall and really big. And like he worked out and did all that. And so that when he got cast as Biff Tannen... Because he'd been bullied so much, he knew how to bully. Mm-hmm. He's just doing an impression of his bullies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we become what we hate, I guess. Uh, he also famously does not sign autographs. Right. And he was on the Never Not Funny podcast. And one of the funniest things that Jimmy Pardo ever said was uh, coming out of a break. He was reselling the show. And he's like, ah, we're sitting here with Tom Wilson, taking time out of not signing autographs for fans. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And like Tom Wilson's point is, I don't want to sign an autograph. I'd rather talk to a person and give them that moment. But not everyone wants to talk or feels comfortable talking. So him forcing his agenda on people is kind of bullying in a way. I don't know. Just sign a fucking autograph, Biff. Let's break into our Back to the Future casting. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, All right. So let's, because we're going to be talking about limited run series versus movie, I think that a good place for us to start is writer-director. Now, Scott, you also had a Uh, Mm writer-director. Mike, did you have... I have a director and a writing team. Okay. okay. Let's let's start with that. Mike, why don't you tell us who your director and writing team are? I went J.J. Abrams, but I don't love that idea to direct it. Mm. I think J.J. Abrams is going to lean too heavy in the direction that I think we're all in agreement that we don't want to go. So let's just pretend I never even said J.J. Abrams. But my writing team, I have Ben Yorks Jones and Michael Mahan, who just did the Netflix series Everything Sucks uh, Mm. about uh, high school AV club. And uh, it's a really neat slice of life of 90s high school. And it was a sweet series. There was a lot of heart, a lot of comedy. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought they did a great job of it. Uh, they also wrote the screenplay for the movie Like Crazy. So they're really good at romantic character pieces. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. No, that's a fun idea. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. I like that. What about you guys? Uh, so I went with Joe Cornish. Um, from uh, He's the writer and director of Attack the Block. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that he is... Probably one of the most um, Amblin-y style directors that we have working right now. Uh, he's got a, a second film finally coming out uh, this this late this year, early next year, called "The King Who Would The, the Kid Who Would Be King," uh, which is sort of dealing with um, uh, like set modern day, but is dealing with um, the uh, sort of like Arthurian legend stuff uh, in like a Amblin-y sort of way. And uh, I, I just think that I think that Joe Cornish is uh, a great director and but i think that his ideas aren't i mean you look at attack the block and um 
you know, Attack the Block would never have been made in America. Like the only reason that it got to be made is because it was it's British and uh, it gets that sort of um, that funding from uh, the the British government. However, all of that stuff works. I don't pretend to know because I'm not British. But uh, <laughs> but but they do they do get some like you know extra like artists get some like extra funding and things from that. Um, and I, I I look at that and I just think, yeah, no, this guy, like if you gave him a Back to the Future TV show, I think he would turn it into everything that you sort of want it to be. Like he has that sort of vision and I think that he would be able to, um, you know, figure out how to modernize the characters uh, in really cool ways. I have a backup question about Joe Cornish that I don't completely know, but I thought I listened to an interview with him and doesn't he famously not like attack the block like hasn't he not watched it since it came out or something i don't think really? that's true yeah that would that, surprise me it might be attack the block i might be thinking of something else but it was something just because it was chaos to film and just the actual getting it done and editing it made it so he never really wanted to deal with it again i think that's what i'm thinking of but there's a good chance i'm wrong i'll do some research yeah i don't know i mean regardless i don't think it it sounds to me like it, it's not like he doesn't like the movie it's just that it was hard to make which I can understand uh, making a, a extremely low budget monster movie um, would be. <laughs> I mean, that's that's di- with a with a cast that big. That's difficult. I could imagine. Uh, so absolutely, yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't blame. I mean, how how often do directors watch their movies after they're out? Really, yeah. I can tell you that the movie that I wrote, I cannot watch. Yeah, well, there you go. Because <laughs> everyone who watches it likes it, but whenever I watch it, I just see pain. Yeah. That's what great. I like about Joe Cornish is that he was able to do some pretty neat special effects mm-hmm. on a budget yes. for Attack of the Block for Attack the Block as well. Yes. And I think he's a creative filmmaker. He doesn't have a huge track record as a director. Um it seems like more so as a writer, but I think he's an interesting choice. Yeah. I think I mean I mean the thing is I don't know that you uh, scaling down from a movie director to a TV director doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal as the other way around. Oh um, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, and I don't think either is a particularly again because the barrier between them is so thin now. Right, right, exactly. So I, I really, I, mean, I he's my pick now because he writes as well. Scott, were you thinking about him to write it as yes. well? Yes, as show running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like the idea of him more uh, as a showrunner than necessarily as the head writer or anything like that, just because. I think there's something very American about Back to the Future, and I uh, and I could be totally wrong about this. I, I think an American writer, sorry, Dougie, <laughs> our one Australian listener. I didn't know uh, Dougie was Australian. Yeah, yeah, no clue, no nothing to indicate that at any point. It doesn't matter. Do you um, think he drops unnecessary use in letter in words like behavior just so <laughs> a simple-minded Americans will understand what word he means? I legitimately have never noticed. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're ta- we're talking about one of our, our more active members of our Facebook group, uh who's a very nice guy, but I uh, he and he and Mike go way back. Does it make you like him less Sam now that you know that he's from a prison island? I mean, I just want to know what he did to get sent there. <laughs> he probably didn't do anything. His ancestors did. Sure, sure. Either way, that thing's genetic. And if there's one thing I believe in, it's eugenics. Wow. Oh, now I'm super scared that making fun of Australia for being a prison island is sort of like the N-word, where people who aren't Australian aren't allowed to make jokes about this. But I'm going to leave it in and find out. <laughs> I mean, I doubt it. That would be a, a hard sell, but it, it is exciting that we will get to find out. Right. All right. All right, Australian listeners, you give us what for. All right, so let's talk about my writer-director. Absolutely. Because uh, my writer-director, I picked Ryan Johnson. Hmm. The reason I picked Ryan Johnson, um, I am one of the people who really, really, really liked uh, The Last Jedi. And part of the reason why I like The Last Jedi is a lot of the um, kind of 
a lot of the reasons that other people didn't. I like that it kind of took some of the pre-established things that we expect about uh, these movies, and it kind of said, well, here, some you're paying a lot of attention. It's like a lot of the frills and not really the meat of the story. It's really more about these people and their journey. I also like the comedy, but and I know that a lot of people did not. But I also think that for something as beloved and important as Back to the Future, if we are, again, never remake this movie... But if we are remaking uh, this movie, I think it's one of those things where we got to kind of drill down to the core of what it is and then kind of build it up while still kind of adding to the mythos. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a comedy, and Ryan Johnson likes the yuck yucks. Well, this is what I like about Ryan Johnson. One, his first movie, or first big movie, Brick, is a high school movie. I think he's the right age because Ryan Johnson and I are the same age. And I, I think we both agree <laughs> that Ryan, and John, Ryan Johnson and I have parallel careers. Um, and I think so. What he did with Star Wars of taking things and putting a twist on them or looking at them in a different angle is really cool. Looper being a time travel movie that I think is, you know, based on what, Scott, you were saying earlier about time travel movies missing the heart and the character of them. I think Looper is a movie that really kind of, you know, literally just kind of dismisses the time travel in the diner and just gets to the characters and it is a pretty human story. Uh, I like Ryan Johnson a lot. I think that's a great idea. I think he also did some of the better episodes of Breaking Bad. I'm on board for Ryan Johnson. Uh, so I'm not. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 so I, I love Ryan Johnson. Like, really, I, I am head over heels for Ryan Johnson as a creator. I, I, I've loved every movie that he's made. And yeah, he's, he directed all the best episodes of Breaking Bad. He's spectacular. I love The Last Jedi. I have not a bad thing to say about Ryan Johnson. But... Ryan Johnson directing Back to the Future doesn't work for me because he's not he's not that kind of director. Like he would turn it into something else. And I don't you know, like even you look at Brick. Yes, he 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 technically directed a movie set in high school. But the whole point of it was like, ah, what if high school was like a neo-noir? It's it's not real high school. And I I would want this to be more like like real high schoolers and, and, you know, dealing with that. Um, And I don't I don't see this. I don't see him directing a Back to the Future TV show that would get the spirit of Back to the Future because I don't I just don't think he's that kind of director. Like it just doesn't I don't know, it doesn't mix in my head for me um at all. And and plus he's already done time travel. And I I don't I would rather see someone who's never done tri- time travel before do time travel than someone do time travel again because I feel like he got all of his original ideas about time travel out in Looper and then Back to the Future would just be a little more paint by numbers and I don't want that either. What if he was just directing and not writing though? Does he do that anymore? Well, I mean, that's what he did on Breaking Bad. Yeah, but he that's didn't direct true. the pilot. Right, that's true. That's a different, that's a totally different job. Well, I mean, either way, if we're going to be get, if well, that, and so here we get into uh, how we want this to be. Like, if we're going to be doing this as a limited run series, a lot of the things on Netflix often do have the same director throughout, but a lot of TV shows in general don't. Mm-hmm. It's a writer's medium, not a director's medium. Right. Yeah, I guess if we're talking television, we should really, instead of be lo- instead of looking at writer-director, we should just look at showrunner. Like, who yeah. would the showrunner for Back to the Future be? It's tough, because especially because this is the sort of movie where I think if you're going to be re- uh, rebooting it, remaking it, I do think it's someone who needs to have been, like, sitting on this idea for years. Mm -hmm. So I actually do think Ryan Johnson's age is probably perfect, but I'm I'm certainly open to it being someone else. But, like, who's the person, other than Scott, (laughs) although it certainly could be Scott, who's been sitting on basically what they want to do with uh, Back to the Future since they saw it however many years ago? Um, 
know. It's a tough question, isn't yeah. it? Because especially because it's probably someone who hasn't necessarily done anything like this before. It's like Sam Raimi turning around and doing Spider Man. Like he'd done a lot of like the how uh, all of his horror movies, but he'd been a big fan of Spider Man and had been sitting on it for years. It's one of those things that oh, this is a surprise. He loves Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a separate thought. Scott, do you like how I pulled back in that other thing that you do? <laughs> Uh, oh yeah that was nice <laughs> I, i'm trying real hard <laughs> sorry go ahead mike because atlanta is a really good show and donald glover i believe is the mm. showrunner on that he is what do, what do you think about donald glover donald glover i could get i could get behind donald glover show running a back to the future show I, th- I could get behind that i could get behind that too at some point we just have to kind of throw up in the facebook group like just a, uh, a running tally of how many times we've uh, suggested and brought up Donald Glover. Yeah. I love Donald Glover. I think he could absolutely do it because he would definitely be amazing. And I, But I think that's true of every single time we bring him But up. we've always brought up Donald Glover as an on-camera person. I think that's Donald true. Glover strictly as a showrunner. Also because instead of gender swapping the characters in this, I color swapped my actors. And I did that too. I did that on a. I did that on a few. I I kind of just. <laughs> I I have like a bunch of different races, and none of it really makes sense because I have like you know races mixing within family. That's the thing that complicates things. Yeah, I just Sam is to... very against race mixing. <laughs> well, I just mean it makes things complicated because it's like, well, if I cast John Boyega as Marty McFly, I now I have to cast a black George McFly and a black Lorraine, and it just complicates things. So I just decided to forget that and just cast. Who I wanted you in went, each who I wanted in each role, and that was the end of it. You went with the Hamilton style of casting. Yeah, right. Yeah, Correct. I got nothing. I got nothing against that. All right, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's fine. I, I strongly i I did stick with like, well, these two people made a baby, uh, but uh, I'm I'm always happy to just like go completely uh, colorblind casting. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Um, the uh, the thing I was gonna say is like, if we're going with kind of like Donald Glover as exclusively writer director, that kind of means that we're suggesting he do the. Uh, uh, the Jordan Peele style of, okay, he was an on-screen talent and then moves on. And then I was like, wait, Jordan Peele. That's good. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to judge because he's only done the one thing, you know? And and it's not anywhere near, it's not anywhere close to, uh, to uh, Back to the Future. So, whereas like Joe Cornish has only done the one thing, but then it's like, it's also kind of close to Back to the Future. And he wrote, he co-wrote Ant-Man, which is also kind of some right, vibes. Right. So like, I that that's where I was, but with Jordan Peele, it's like, I don't know. I'm sure he would be capable of it because, I mean, who knew he was capable of Get Out before he did Get Out, so... Right, yeah. but the other problem with Jordan Peele is that he was sitting on Get Out for years and years, and that's kind of what I'd like, but there's no way of knowing who's been sitting on this idea their entire life. Right. What I kind of think might be a way to do this is, uh, let's go with Mike's writing team, and then let's go with Joe Cornish as a director. Because mm. I feel like that's a sort of, like, Joe Cornish bringing the sci-fi, bringing the elements, and focusing on the actual execution, I think would be better than having him kind of go back and forth, whereas I like the, what the writing team did for uh say the name of the show mike everything, everything sucks. sucks everything sucks i i also want to i want to uh throw out one that we haven't mentioned yet because i think we all probably agree that it would be it, it's a terrible idea but someone on the facebook group will say it uh because <laughs> it's obvious um which is dan Harmon, and no no dan Harmon. absolutely no. not that'd be ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want dan Harmon to uh do 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 back to the future you gotta uh, he, he's kind of already doing that and it uh, I mean, they haven't even gotten to seven seasons yet, <laughs> Marty. It's yeah, no, no to Dan Harmon. Oh, uh, uh, gee, Scott, I don't know. I just, I think Dan Harmon would be a oh, tough call. Sorry, Facebook group. <laughs> How about we take two Dan Harmon proteges that I think are excellent television creators: Ryan Ridley, who works on Rick and Morty, and Megan Gans, who worked underneath 
Dan Harmon on Community and let them run a show together. I, I, I They're think, both Michigan people, too. That's why I'm plugging them. Um, I think that instead of um, Ryan Ridley, I, uh, Me- Megan Gans, awesome. Um, I would say Megan Gans and um, uh, what is his name? Uh, he wrote the he wrote the um, the community episode of with the alternate timelines. Oh, Chris McKenna. Uh, he wrote the really famous episode of Community with the um, with the different timelines. Uh, the the best timeline and the worst timeline. Yeah. Well. Well. Specifically. Oh, no. No. Specifically, the one where they're all playing the game, and every time they roll, roll yeah. a different. Yep. Di- yeah. That one. Yeah. 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 Darkest timeline. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, uh, probably one of the best half hours of television ever made. Yep, a hundred percent. And it's so, good. and it has my favorite joke ever uh, in anything, which is the uh, uh, when when Donald Glover's looking in Britta's purse and he's like, "Hey, what does a pregnancy test look like?" And they're like, oh, "It's like a little white thing with a with a strip that says uh, positive or negative." And he goes, "Oh, okay, so this is definitely a gun." <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke so. It's much. It's the greatest joke. Um, uh, anyway, so Chris, we're Chris McKenna, that, can I? Can I put it in ink? Showrunners Megan Gans and Chris McKenna? I think so. I mean, I think so. Chris McKenna also wrote Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which I kind of loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's writing Ant-Man and the Wasp. And he wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And the Lego oh. Batman movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I like our showrunner team. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's cool. get to casting then. Marty McFly. We're, I think all three of us are going to have wildly different people for Marty just because of the different directions we were going to be going in. Let, let's actually get let's get mine out of the way first because I think mine's the one that I felt least confident in. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm probably going to enjoy your two more. Uh, the casting I had for Marty was Storm Reed, who is the lead in the new Wrinkle in Time movie. She's really young, isn't she? She is, but uh, she's like... 14, and by the time this movie would come out, she'd be 16. Yeah, but I mean, who knows what she would be like at, at that point. I had Storm Reed for young Lorraine. Did wow. you really? Yes. Interesting. That's amazing. My young Lorraine is someone different, but that's that's funny that you did that. Wait, so uh, are you are you doing are you doing two different Lorraine castings? You're not going to do L- old Lorraine in makeup? Yeah, I found the makeup problematic. I know technology's better these days, but it just sort of looked like Meet the Clumps to me or whatever that Mm. awful Eddie Murphy movie was. So yeah, I do have different casting for old and young. Interesting. I I, I think you could do, you could take the Haley Atwell in uh, Winter Soldier approach and do it that way instead of... um with makeup you do it with technology and i think it would be a lot better but yeah you're you're probably right fair enough i would have trouble connecting the two i think uh to me i think the reason they did it the way they did it was so that there was no doubt in your mind that this was the young lorraine versus the old lorraine um yeah and when you look at a show like this is us the way that they make mandy moore age 30 years right i think the makeup on this is us is some of the best age makeup i've ever seen in anything i agree i agree and i also always find a problem with like when they're casting the same person over different ages it always means that they have to compromise on one of the castings because yep. they go with the person that they really like and then the person who looks like them. right well then i th- i think i know w- when scott pointed out how young storm reed is th- where the problem's going to be because back to the future cast people in their 20s as teenagers yep so th- they kind of split the difference and I cast really young teenagers, uh, so I don't know that any of my casting will necessarily work. But I'm open mm-hmm. to what you guys have. Uh, who did who did you have for Marty? I had I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's Jahi D. Diallo Winston, who is the lead kid in Everything Sucks. He is just so captivating on screen. He's a young actor, so not. All of his acting is flawless, but he does a lot of heavy lifting and everything sucks, and most of it is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I just found him an interesting actor that kept me engaged with that series uh, from start to finish. 
Interesting. But he's super young. Not that we really need to age Marty until we get to season two, so. Right, but, um, and then it sounded, Scott, like you had John Boyega? Well, okay, so I had, John Boyega was one of them. I kind of... I, I waffled a lot with a lot of these um, because I have because there's just so many different ways that you could take it right. So there's there's the there's the one to one remake casting where you just cast Tom Holland as Marty because it's he basically is Michael J. Fox, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, but but again, that. that's boring. It's the one to one, right? Right. Yeah. And then I thought, well, if I gender bend it, I would want Haley Steinfeld, um, who is uh, she was just in yeah. Age of Seventeen. Um, she's so good. She's, she's so great. good. Uh, John Boyega is definitely my my uh, my black Marty. Um, I think that John Boyega, because the the trick with Marty is that you have to be able to play. You have to be a dreamboat, but also just riddled with anxiety. Um, <laughs> and that's a difficult thing to pull off. But I think John Boyega pulls it off. Like he's so charming and charismatic, but can also get play overwhelmed really, really well. Um, so I like John Boyega. I I think ultimately. I I just thought, well, this is a TV show, and maybe maybe John Boyega is maybe a little too big for the TV show. In an ideal world, John Boyega. But then I also thought Timothy Chalamet would be pretty good too. Oh yeah, um, I'm having to look up so many people. Yeah, uh, here's Timothy. my problem with John Boyega. I think he's great in Attack the Block, and I really mm-hmm. like him as Finn. I don't know if Pacific Rim Two is out yet or not, but he is fucking awful in that. And I don't think he was particularly good in Detroit either. Mm. And unfortunately, my problem with Haley Steinfeld is I've really only seen her in. Well, I guess I saw her in True Grit, but that's a bad metric. But I didn't particularly like her performance in Pitch Perfect 2. Did well, you see I, Edge of 17? I'm aware that it exists. Okay, I will that's... say that I'm with Scott 100% on Haley Steinfeld. I think if we don't have her as the lead, we need her in the movie. Mm-hmm. She hasn't come up on the podcast before, and I think she is an absolutely phenomenal presence on screen. Yeah, Haley Steinfeld, Edge of 17 was my, my number one movie of 2016. Uh, then let them if you guys feel that passionately about it then we'll go with Haley Steinfeld um, I got nothing against that yeah I mean I think I think Haley Steinfeld is is a solid Marty McFly I think she would also be a great Lorraine or a Jennifer I think because um, I will say in my version of this Jennifer goes back with Marty because I think that Jennifer needs to be in the movie more because I think we need more female characters in Back to the Future and I don't think I think, I think we can do it without necessarily gender bending uh, Marty or or any of the characters necessarily we can totally but we don't have to if we bring Jennifer with us and say like instead of using Jennifer as a MacGuffin of like I gotta get back to Jennifer Doc um, instead of that uh, or leaving her unconscious in an alley in the remake um, we actually <laughs> we actually write her as part of the of the of the movie because I, I I also like the idea of like you know Lorraine says I don't like Jennifer like she's too needy she's not what I I want a woman to be like and the idea of Jennifer be that bothering Jennifer like Jennifer knowing that 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 Lorraine doesn't like her and it really bothering her and then going back in time with Marty and meeting young Lorraine and like sort of figuring out why she is that way or whatever I I just think there's a lot of interesting things that you could play with now that we're in a TV show setting rather than a movie in a movie you don't have time for that but in a TV right. show why not yeah in a TV show I agree I think she has to go back because you need you need the, the that the material uh, drama yeah the material thank you yeah. I wanted to say filler but that's not right yeah um uh I think in a, uh, but I also agree with you in a movie you don't have time yes the one thing I will say is that we kind of had the same sort of argument when we were talking about Princess Bride. Obviously, one of the big uh, issues with Princess Bride is the lack of female representation. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why we wanted more from Buttercup. But if Wesley is female, then that doesn't that, – that kind of eliminates 
uh, that that issue with the movie. Now, I don't think that's necessarily. I think that's an issue with gender representation, but I don't think that's necessarily an issue with the character. Uh-huh. As a character, kind of figuring out why someone's mom doesn't like her. I I don't necessarily uh, delve as deep into that as a as as a fun plot line. Um, I feel like if we were going to be sending Jennifer back in time, we would end up meeting someone that is her parents as well. And I think... Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. As a television series, bringing her back in time, too, gives us an opportunity to really expand on the universe and give her a full arc. Not even have her just be the significant other, but also learn something from going back. And I I like the idea, I, I could be totally mistaken, but I think one of the plot lines on the movie Pleasantville was that one of the kids liked it there while the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. So that could end up being one of the story arcs for the season two that maybe she doesn't want to go back. Maybe she likes it back in the eighties. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. The the Pleasantville comparison is a really good one. That's compelling. I like that a lot. Um, No, well, okay. So then why not we, why don't we have our cake and eat it? And we, we have her go back in time to try to figure out, like you know you you have that arc with her trying to figure out like how can she connect to marty's mom and then she actually connects and they become like bffs and then she's like actually i don't want to leave like i want to be i want to be here with lorraine like i want to you know i want to stay in the 80s and then when marty goes back to the to the present he you know he has like he has like an aunt jennifer (laughs) not like an actually related aunt but like you know she just stayed behind and grew old with lorraine Ooh, i'm i'm all for that Except the only thing that I won't like is that then we go back to the, the back to the future, back to the present, and we're gonna have old middle aged Lorraine, or I'm sorry, old middle aged Jennifer going, "Hey Marty, what's uh what's going on?" <laughs> and uh, if if uh, if it's skeeved out for Marty to be uh, making out with his mom before or not making out with his mom before, it's gonna be even more skeevy when he has made out with the woman who is essentially now his aunt. Well, <laughs> I love the idea. I I don't I, I see I don't find that do skeevy. They're not related, so it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've, you don't. You don't have any of those uh, people you're not related to, but are basically family anyway. Sure, but that this Marty wouldn't have that. He would have no memory of that. That oh, that brings up something that I that we completely neglected to talk about because we didn't talk about what happened to the other Marty at all. Oh, I we we went in, we went deep into that in uh, Back to the Future minute. Um, okay, yeah. uh, so just to save us all that, do you want to give us like a quick thirty second taste of what that of like kind of what you guys? So essentially, uh, when when Beta Marty goes back in time, which is Beta Marty, that's what we call him. <laughs> yeah, because we because we have Alpha Marty, uh, which is the Marty we're following, and then we have Beta Marty, who comes from the Beta timeline, where it's the Lone Tree, Lone Pine Mall, instead of yeah, right. Um, and, yeah, so he when he goes back in time, he goes back in time to the nineteen fifties that. Alpha Marty goes back in time again to in part two. And so it's it's all just it's just layers upon layers of 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 time travel of <clears throat> each time they go back, it's slightly different. And so the the what the saddest part of this is so there Alpha goes to Beta, Beta goes to Charlie, etc. etc. What the saddest part of this whole thing is, is that original timeline where we meet the original George and Lorraine who are like sad and alcoholic and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they just lost their son. He just never came back from the mall. Oh, yeah, jeez. Oh, that That's the saddest part of Back to the Future that no one ever talks about. Those they they never they never saw their son again. My theory was <clears throat> that uh, the Martys swapped. That's not possible. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, the, the, my, I mean, the, 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 my thing was that uh, Beta Marty never runs into uh, George at the diner, 
And so when he goes back in time, he just hangs out with Doc in the past and just goes back to the future. The parents meet, they do all that. And then he goes back and he's with the sad parents. Mm-mm. No, that doesn't um, that doesn't work because we see uh, Beta Marty in Back to the Future Part 2 in the 1955 revisited se- sequences. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and everything plays wow. exactly like it is before. Don't mess with the guy with the Back to the Future PhD. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's my question to you. In the sequel, when they go to the future, which Marty is that? In the In the future future? That's yeah, that's that sad Marty or no? That's uh, Alpha Marty. Marty. That's that's right. that's Alpha Marty in the future because that is Alpha Marty's uh, the future of Alpha Marty's timeline. Wow, cool. <laughs> that's it's so much. I gotta listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, really. When you think about all the multiple timelines still existing instead of just following the one timeline that Alpha Marty. Oh, you just yeah. yeah. It's so sad. Oh, geez, Scott. Thanks for ruining Back to the Future. <laughs> Well, what's the uh, what's the college humor uh, after hours theory? It's that Doc's been controlling everything, and he just slowly goes through and kills the Martys that he's done with, <laughs> just to slowly point them in the direction to get everything to line up the way it needs to be. Horrifying. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's so, cast uh, our Jennifer, or are we going to have Haley Steinfeld as Jennifer? I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly with Marty. I'm between Haley Steinfeld and Timothy Chalamet because <clears throat> Timothy Chalamet, well, I, I, we know that he's capable of really great acting. I haven't seen him do a lot of uh, comedic stuff um, necessarily. So I don't know if he has those chops necessarily. Riley funny in Lady Bird. That's true. That's true. That's true. I, I think in order to play that aloof character, <laughs> disconnected character, he had to be really connected. So yeah, I, I think he could do it. Yeah. I think out of um, the probably. gate, Timothy Chalamet has shown that he can do just about anything. That's true. I agree. That is- the only problem I have with Timothy Chalamet and Haley Steinfeld being the two leads is unless we do go completely colorblind, this is still going to end up being a really white movie. Mm-hmm. Well, my other my other Jennifer Parker that I had was Kiersey Clemens. She's from uh, Dope and Dope Dope, oh. and she uh, she played she she played uh, Iris West in Justice League and then was cut out of it. Um, Oh, no. I don't know if she's still playing Iris in uh, the Flash movies or not. but uh, And this is for uh, Jennifer? Yeah, for Jennifer. That's what I was thinking. Um, I like her. Yeah. And I like the idea of addressing sexuality, too, that Sam pointed out early. Like, sure. if Marty was Marty with an I and Jennifer... Because maybe it could turn out that it's unclear of whether or not Marty's parents are racist or homophobic. Mm-hmm. And it gives us an opportunity to address both issues, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Sure. And cool. it opens up, you know, the color. Um, I want to say color palette, but I know that that's not what the term I'm looking for. Uh, but yeah, it makes our cast more diverse. racially diverse. Yeah, I agree. The person that I had for Jennifer was an actress named Ariella Bearer, who, again, I know from Runaways, but ah. uh, she's she's done other things. I, I think I she's almost done lots of I almost put her as Jennifer actually. So did you really? Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, and then Mike, your Jennifer was Storm Reed, or you had Storm Reed as Lorraine. I had Storm Reed as Lorraine, but I think mm. she's too young. I agree with Scott on that. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Mm-hmm. I've got um, I've got Olivia Cook as Lorraine. Ooh, neat. Yeah, I think she's great. Yeah, um, I think she could play uh, older and younger. I think she definitely has that sort of Leah Thompson vibe about her. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I'm sure she's good. I she's gonna be. Oh, she's Artemis in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. This is for Lorraine. Yeah. Okay. I'm not opposed to her. Uh, the person that I had for Lorraine was Letitia Wright. She I know that is name. Black Panther's little sister. Ooh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. This was when again because I had Storm Reed as Marty. Right. But, uh, basically, because she's kind of like the fun. She's young. But uh, she's also kind of like one, another one of the Marvel teens. Yeah. And she's 
fairly new and i think that this would be a fun opportunity to see her doing something non well no it's still sci-fi <laughs> i don't know i i just like her and i thought she was fun and i think that she'd be a, a cool lorraine i mean lorraine doesn't do anything sci-fi so it would be she's pretty far removed from the sci-fi stuff of back to the future so um it would really just be a character thing for her could she play jennifer's mom Ooh, Ooh. oh cat we're casting a bonus character <laughs> All right. Yeah. I like that. I like that, too. No, that's that's good. Nope. I'm totally on board for that. Yep, sold. You got me. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, because, I mean, if we're expanding out Jennifer's story, then we're going to need her parents, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think that that was a good suggestion. Yeah, definitely. Okay. What about George McFly? Who do you guys got for George McFly? Because I went black with my Marty. I don't have a, a George or a Lorraine, so I, I'm leaving this up to you guys. Oh, okay. Uh, my George, I went with Cody Smith McPhee. He was Nightcrawler in oh, Age of Apocalypse. Oh, that's interesting. We went. I think we went for similar, uh, very similar people because I went with um, I went with Asa Butterfield. Uh, they could play brothers, Cody Smith McPhee and Asa Butterfield. <laughs> oh man, they totally could. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, weird. All right, well. Either or, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> both are great. I would say I would I would lean more toward Asa Butterfield because uh, I don't because I, Cody is he is Asa Butterfield American? He is from London. Okay, so no, in London. All right, well, yeah. I don't know. We don't have enough. We don't have enough eccentric teen actors right now. Um, yeah, we we definitely need one of these. And Asa Butterfield is twenty, and uh, Cody Smith McPhee is twenty one. I would say the only downside to casting Cody Smith McPhee is that he's six foot two. Oh wow! I didn't realize he was so tall. Holy moly! I I didn't either until I'm looking just now. So I feel like Asa Butterfield is. All right, Asa Butterfield. Okay. Uh, although that said, just kind of like the whole that now that's an interesting uh, separate conversation because there's the whole concept of like the person who's super super tall and Mike your friend DJ Dangler does this of someone who's really really tall but just kind of like slunches forward just because they slunch uh, they don't have kind of the confidence or anything so it's a tall person who acts a lot shorter than they are until finally when they gain the confidence and they stand up straight and you're like oh wow this person's a lot taller than they I believe them to be mm-hmm. mm. food for thought yeah yeah. Cody Smith McPhee so good in Let Me In and The Road yeah I really really like him as an actor yeah me too. What do you think about him for Biff? I, he's interesting. I think he's too. He's too skinny. Actually, I think yeah. I, I have a. I have a male Biff. I have. Um. I have Lucas Hedges as as Biff. Uh. Oh yeah. Um. But he. I. I. If you want to go like again a one to one kind of thing. Um. But also I would be into. Do you want to know what's crazy? I also looked at Lucas Hedges. Uh. For Biff. <laughs> awesome. I went. I went with someone else. Yeah. I mean, he's good in a lot of things. Obviously, he's amazing in Lady Bird. He's great in uh, Three Billboards. Mm-hmm. I, I love Lucas Hedges. I think he's a fun bit. Yeah. Um, I went with Ty Sheridan. Okay. Uh, who, as long as we're sticking with Ready Player One. Oh, him. Is, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I went with him because if we're not placing this in the 50s, if we're placing this in the 80s, we need a different kind of bully. Yeah, I agree. And I and Lucas Hedges is this as well. Um, but I kind of wanted Ty Sheridan because he always struck me as kind of like the snooty, well, the Cyclops of it all. Because mm-hmm. he's like the, 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 the rich kid who's kind of taking it out on the poor kid kind of thing. Sure. Sure, you could do that, like the pop collar on a polo shirt kind of bit. Right. I also thought it might be cool to go Heathers with it and make it Tiff Tannen, um, Ooh, okay. and and do uh, do do like a female uh, uh, Biff in the in, as Tiff Tiff Tannen. Um, just just who'd you cast for that? As like a as like a Heathers kind of uh, yeah, mean yeah. girl who, kind of thing. Who'd you pick? Uh, I don't. I I couldn't think of anybody. Honestly, oh, no. I could I couldn't think of anybody because you know, like in a in a in a perfect world, um, you know, if I could if I could really cast anybody from uh, any t- time period to be busy Phillips. Um, 
as yeah. Tiff Tannen because <laughs> Busy Phillips would be yeah. like an incredible would be incredible at that. Uh, but I don't I can't think of like a modern day Busy Phillips. There's, oh, I, mean, I can. Um, from Everything Sucks, Sydney Sweeney, but she has a very Busy Phillips oh, kind yeah, of vibe about from, her. Oh yeah, okay, I remember her now from Everything Sucks. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're going if we're going with the popped collar, uh, popular person putting down the or the like wealthy part of town putting down the poorer part of town. You could also go with someone like Lucy Hale. Yeah. Okay. She, from that. Uh, Pretty little liars. Pretty little oh liars, yeah. Man. Sure. Sure. She's just on my mind. Cause she's like, her posters are everywhere in LA right now. Cause she has a TV show and a movie that are like coming out right now. Mm-hmm. She's everywhere. Well, you could also, uh, you know, going back, <laughs> going back to our other thing. If we go, if you do a Biff Tannen, I, I mean, I think you'd have to, I think you'd have to change the name. Cause Biff is just like such a 1950s name. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, that, but uh, if you want pop collar, rich guy, I mean, Timothy Chalamet, uh, he'd be pretty good at that um, as, as <laughs> yeah. far as as far as that sort of uh, that kind of douchebag. Uh, he would actually be pretty good. Um, yeah, he's pretty terrible of a character in Lady Bird. Yeah, he is. He is. What about the Tannen siblings and do Timothy Chalamet and Sidney Sweeney? Sure. Oh, I like yeah, that. Why not? Yeah, I like that, too. Oh, I, what a great idea. I do like that. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> Mike's on fire today. Yeah. On board. Okay. Cool. Let's do that. Okay. Who are we missing? Doc Brown. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Doc Brown is the one that I'm most, the one that I like so much for my, of my choices. All, All right. right. But uh, I think you guys are going to be really quick to shoot it down. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, it's a character actor, so that's your wheelhouse, Mike. Jason Manzukis. He's wild. He's crazy. He has that energy. I don't see him as a particularly asexual character, though. Mm. Yeah. No, I like, I like him a lot. That's an interesting... Allison Doc. is uh, giving me her silent approval right now. Yeah. Good. Um, I I love uh, Jason Manzukis. I think he's a wonderful actor. I, and I think he's the, I think he has the high energy running around craziness of Doc, like, nailed. I just also don't see him as the kind of, like, the asexual. Like, if, like, let's say we put him in a room with uh, a female Marty or Jennifer or anyone, all of a sudden it feels creepy to me. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I can I, see that. I never got anything overly sexual about Jason Manzukas. I mean, I'm thinking exclusively as his roles in uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine and The Good Place. Yeah, I, I see what I see what you're saying. I, I will say the benefit of Jason Manzukas is that if we're setting this in the '80s, there is uh, an element of, and I don't know if we want to go down this road, but I think that there's an element of him being sort of um, shunted off to the side of, of, of Hill Valley because of he uh, probably is like, I mean, he's crazy. He does crazy science and he looks the way that he does. And there's there's probably some commentary on, uh, you know, like the uh, the way people assume, uh, you know, r- racist stereotypes of like terrorists and things. Um, there's stuff that you could play with in that. I aspect. think that's very regional too. Like, because... I live near Dearborn, Michigan, which mm-hmm. has the largest Middle Eastern population outside the Middle East. I didn't grow up with that stereotype. Also, Jason Manzukis is Greek, uh, but I know he's certainly... Right, but that's why racial stereotypes are what they are, is that yeah. no one bothers to know what they actually are. They're just like, that guy's brown. He must be a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and again, it, I may be the oddball on that just because of growing up with around so many brown people Sure, that... That was one of those things that when I realized that was kind of a uh, big U.S. fear of, ooh, brown people, where right. I was just like, really? Because I went to school with in a high school that was pretty much white and brown. So, But I, I, um, I just I, – but I do love the idea of him just being like, they all think I'm a terrorist, Marty. I'm from Greece. Like, I'm Greek. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I just think that oh, that's that, really funny. That is really funny. Yeah. That actually is hilarious. Um, <laughs> just for that joke alone, I really like that idea. Uh, 
let, let me give you let me give let me give you guys my doc for you guys to shoot down. My doc suggestion is Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald, interesting. From Kids in the Hall. From Kids in the Hall and Pleakley. Yeah. From hmm. Lilo and Stitch. Interesting. I'm ca- I'm cast him because Doc Brown was so hard because he needs to be so many things and so he needs to be so many things and he needs to not be so many yes. things. Yes. Hey, since I told my story of Tom Wilson being a dick, I want to tell an opposite story right now. Kevin McDonald was supposed to be notoriously the hardest to approach kid in the hall. And I got to work with him and found him to be warm and delightful and pleasant. Mm. And it really made me happy because he's Well, I got to work with my two favorite kids in the hall, and they were both really great, super cool guys, both him and Dave Foley. There, I put a deposit in the Karma Bank account that I made a withdrawal from when I talked about Tom Wilson being a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put a little bit in that bank account because I met uh, Kevin McDonald uh, when he did a performance at the now-closed I.O. West, rest in peace, Um, and he was just hanging out in the bar afterwards, and... um, I went up after him and I said, you've d- you've had a couple performances. I really like Kids in the Hall and I loved Lilo and Stitch uh, growing up. Thank you so much for doing that. He was like, oh, thank you very much. And he was clearly embarrassed to be getting the compliment, but he he was nice to me. He took the compliment and he said thank you. And I don't know. Nice. I, I've just always had a positive image of him in my head after that. Yeah, yeah getting to do two shows with him, which meant hanging out in the green room with him for an hour, just completely opposite of what I was led to believe he was. He A shy guy, like he doesn't go out and meet the fans like the other kids in the hall would do. But one-on-one, just, oh, what, what a classy guy. What a really fun guy <laughs> and great performer, too. I, uh, I, I really like Kevin McDonald, but I think he would make a better George than he would a Doc to me. Like, he, fe- I, he feels, I mean. I don't, I don't disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, he feels more of like a George to me. Um, but it would be a phenomenal George. Uh, I would watch that movie. Maybe not. Here's an interesting time. Here's an interesting timeline thing for you. If uh, George ends up with Lorraine, he becomes George. But if George ends up completely alone and uh, isolated, he becomes Doc. Boom. <laughs> timeline theory. Weird. Um, <laughs> who did you have, Scott, for Doc Brown? I went ahead and um, so I, I have I have a couple. But I I if I were to gender bend Doc, which is kind of where my heart is. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what you said at the beginning. Yeah, I'm excited to hear this. I would do Kate McKinnon as Doc Brown. That's. I also considered Kate McKinnon for Doc Brown for exactly that reason. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to do a gender flip of Doc Brown, that's who it would need to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost it's o- almost too easy, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, which is why yeah. I thought of some other ones, but yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with Kate McKinnon where it infuriates me that she is so overused on SNL when they have so many good female castmates, mm-hmm. but I can't deny the fact that she hits it out of the park every time she's on screen. So. Yeah. And she's so good in Ghostbusters as well, too, playing yeah. a very Doc Brown type character. Which right. is one of the reasons why I, I'm like, I have to put it down because it's so obvious, but then it's also kind of obvious. So uh, I I also wanted to pitch um, Lakeith Stanfield from... Oh, uh, God, yeah. Yeah, Lakeith Stanfield from uh, Atlanta and uh, a couple of other things. And um, Get Out. Oh, Get Out. He's in Get Out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was in... Uh, I, I never saw the original Death Note. I think that's what it was called. Right. The anime. Um, but seeing the live action version, I thought he was really neat in that too. Yeah. He's a chameleon actor. Yeah. Where it, it took me a while to realize he was the same person when I was watching Atlanta, the same person from Get Out. Yeah. No, 100%. It's it's really cool. I think he could do something really cool with Doc Brown. This is a tough one because I think all three of us came up with let's, great let's Doc Let's hold Browns. on to Lakeith Stanfield for a second because I have another pitch for Lakeith Stanfield. But I oh. think we should go with Jason Manzukis. Okay. Okay. Who did you have for Lakeith Stanfield then? I don't. Um, my original uh, 
pitch was because there's one person that we've missed that we haven't really talked about yet and that is mr strickland mm-hmm. okay or lakeith stanfield would probably be a really good mr strickland really yeah i mean the person that i'd originally cast as mr strickland was andre brauger hmm. brower also from brooklyn not brower excuse me oh uh, yeah from also from uh brooklyn 99 but that's the kind of i'm kind of doing a one-to-one for who for the guy for our original uh mr strickland right. whereas if this is a movie in the 80s and slash uh 80s, 90s, and today, I feel like it might be someone even more like Lakeith Stanfield, like a different kind of principal, but also someone who's kind of disappointed with what Marty's doing. Because Lakeith Stanfield is the same age as all of our cast members that have to play both old and young, what about Lakeith Stanfield as Jennifer's dad? I mean, I don't, I, sure, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got nothing for that role. Yeah, sure. I didn't even know the role existed, so yeah. Right. I mean, if means. we did her mom as Letitia Wright from um, Black Panther, then... Yeah, sure. It wouldn't hurt to have a dad in there, too. I mean, her dad is way older than her, I think. Um, isn't he in his 30s? Lakeith Stanfield? Yeah. He's 26. He's only 26? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Man, these youngins make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> yeah, you youngins do make me feel bad about myself, too. <laughs> you both born in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, barely. Yeah. Lakeith Stanfield is younger than my little sister. Wow. Lakeith Stanfield was born the year after I got out of high school. Jeepers. Uh, so Strickland, who did, I'm sorry, Sam, who did you have? Uh, Andre, Bra- on, I, Andre Brower. I like that. I do too. I do like that. I think that's pretty good. Um, I really do. It is, it yeah. is one-to-one, but it's like one-to-one in a fun way. Then let's rock and roll with yeah. that. I also thought it would be fun if it was a cameo and we, we cast Christopher Lloyd as Strickland. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he'd be a retired principal at this point in time. I feel like if you cast Christopher Lloyd as Strickland, you'd have to cast uh, Michael J. Fox as something. Uh, mm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'd be a lot more likely to cast uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd as the guy who becomes the mayor. Or the old... You know what would be funny? You cast him as the old mayor and you cast Marty as the young mayor. I don't think you'd want to take away a role from a black guy. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just discovered this little trivia. Um, Zoe Dutch, who is the daughter in the movie Why Him, yeah. is Leah Thompson's daughter. Yeah. It'd be kind of neat to put her in our show somewhere as a brand new character. Sure. Um, just we to have... kind of continue the Back to the Future... Maybe she's one of the Tannins. Well, I was going to say, if we're doing this as a TV show, these people would kind of have to already have a lived-in world, and both George and Lorraine would probably already have to have... Well, Lorraine would have to have friends. George, maybe not. Um, and I think putting Zoe Dutch as one of Lorraine's friends would actually be kind of fun. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can see that. Um, I also want to, just real quick, I want to pitch something real weird. Yeah. Okay. I want to get real weird. So I'm, I'm, ready. I, I'm all for the TV show Back to the Future, but if they were to remake it as a movie... I, I, I would I, – we've, we've thought about this a lot, my co-host and I, and how weird and into it we would kind of be. What if Wes Anderson directed a Back to the Future remake? Oh, that'd be so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Richard Iowati as Doc Brown in a Wes Anderson. I mean, uh, if, we, if, we hadn't just, if we hadn't just used Richard Iowati in a previous episode, I, I would – I, we used him in Clue. Yeah. yeah. If, if we hadn't, he would have been my Doc Brown. Yeah, yeah he would have been a great Doc Brown. That's fun. A Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to the Future. It's just so Bill Murray is Strickland. Just so weird. He's, it'd be so. It's so weird. He would look so I, symmetric. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Scott, I know you watched the Honest trailer for all of the. Uh, oh yeah. The the Wes Anderson movies. It was so spot on and it amazing. It was perfect. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, just imagine Richard Iowati as Doc Brown's model of the Hill Valley experiment. Like the, the, (laughs) I mean, it would be amazing in a Wes Anderson movie. There, I mean, now here's the thing. Would it be a live action movie or would it be puppets? Ooh, 
I live. I want it live action. I think I'd want it live. Action. I think I'd want it to be live action too. But can you just imagine a tiny little model car moving, and then there's little paper flames on the ground behind? Oh it? yeah, but that's that would be oh, in his the, his model, the rich the, ah. the Doc Brown model. So you'd get to have your Fair cake enough. and eat it. There you go. <laughs> when he's describing the imaginary situation, we go to the puppet version, then we cut back out to the live right. version, and it would have a little curtain that he would open before presenting it to Marty. Marty goes on an adventure to uh, reunite with the woman he loves in a simple adventure to get back home in time, and then things go wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right so we have we unfortunately have two things left to cast we're not quite done oh. yet the first one is the car oh yes oh yes yeah i i went with i, have, I went with the tesla uh because i i that, did too i i tried Every, i wanted to like i wanted something that felt relatively similar to a delorean like what what is a modern day delorean and it just felt like oh, that's a tesla but i yeah. will say you don't want to remake back to the future without the delorean so my pitch would be he takes the Tesla back in time, but rather than just needing the power to run the, Delo- the, 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 the car, the car actually is destroyed, and they have to rebuild the car, and they rebuild it in a DeLorean. Yeah, aren't Teslas notoriously hard to find parts for? Mm-hmm. That could yeah. be kind of a fun commentary on <laughs> Tesla right. as well. totally. Well, I also think it'd be funny if, like, when it – because I have a – I, I watched this movie with a friend of mine who was like, a DeLorean still looks like a car. They had a car in the 50s. Why would these kids think it was an alien ship? And, like, when the Tesla gets landed, like, lands somewhere and they turn it into, like, oh, it's this alien ship. And people are like, no, it's just a car. And you have this whole other side comedy bit of the Lone Pine guy trying to tell everyone that this this car that landed in his barn is a, is a spaceship and no one believing him. They're just saying it's a weird-looking car. <laughs> I also had Tesla, but I, had, but I knew everyone was going to pick Tesla. So I came up with two side pitches just in case. Okay. The first one is going to get shot down immediately. It is a hearse. <laughs> Well, that's Ghostbusters, so you can't do it. Ghostbusters is an old, uh, old ambulance. Well, yeah, but it right, but it was also a. I mean, it's a, it's a hearse. Well, it's a hearse in the Ghostbusters remake, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. The reason I picked a hearse is because the cars have looked the same for fifty years, and it it can travel anywhere in time and still fit in. Oh, the, do- uh, the Doctor is, Who approach. Got it. Yeah, it's it's the exact opposite of what the DeLorean was, but I I just thought it was a fun concept. But they used in Ghostbusters, so there you go. Yeah. The other one is I was talking this out with a couple friends, and uh, Diane suggested the car, the Fisher Karma, which is a car I'd never heard of. Now here's what why I actually think that's a really interesting pitch. The DeLorean was a concept car that had all these really cool features but then failed the fisher karma was an entirely eco-friendly car that got pitched and it failed because it got a lot of bad publicity when justin bieber bought one and then completely covered it in chrome he chrome plated his fisher karma thereby making it not eco-friendly at all making a complete eyesore and the bad publicity from that killed this concept car you know what would be really funny about the fisher karma is that what it's called the fisher karma fisher karma Spelled yeah. like Fisher and spelled like Karma, two separate words. I'm seeing it. it it's Fisker Karma. Fisker. F-I-S-K-E-R. Fisker. Oh, okay. yeah. You're right. Fisker Karma. I what would be long. fun about the Fisker Karma, especially if we're going back to the 80s, is that there was so much hairspray in the 80s that this eco-friendly car uh, existing in a time that we just didn't give a shit about the environment at all mm-hmm. would be <laughs> really a, a, another fun side note commentary that we could make on how different things have become in the last 30 years. There's also part of me that wants it to just to be sort of a lame car. Like I, I just think about, I, I'm just thinking about that line of like, you made a time machine out of a DeLorean. And like the way he says DeLorean is just like, what, why would you, I, you got to go to the future in style Morty. Yeah. Well, and so I, I was just thinking, I, I don't know. Like what, what if it was like, you made us, you made a time machine out of a smart car. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, my, that was my friend Brad's pitch. Like he was like a smart car, something that's, that's dumb looking and in in its time and fits in nowhere else. Yeah. 
Like a smart car or um, or like a PT Cruiser, or just like... Or my Scion XB. <laughs> <laughs> like the original, the first year, the 2007 Scion XBs where they were so blocky. Sure, yeah. Just, I, like, I also was thinking the Cube, yeah. which is the same kind of idea. Oh, yeah, the Cube. I love Cubes so much, Allison won't let me have one. <laughs> I mean, do you want to stick it to Allison now? We just make it a cube. I do. <laughs> I really. Uh, do although like I completely agree with Scott's uh, point that I think the car is going to need to be completely destroyed, and they're going to need to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Because another point that got made is there was plutonium in the fifties. He just had to go find it. Right. They go on a road trip across the country to find the plutonium he needs to send him home. I also think if we're doing this as a TV show, one of the side plots with Doc is <clears throat> I think he gets in with the Russians instead um instead of the libyans in this and what's great about that is he can be involved and killed by the russians in in modern day and still be involved in the russians during the cold war in the 80s and so definitely it works perfectly that way i agree yeah we cast the libyans as the russians done (laughs) done (laughs) and then the so we want to go with the cube in the uh present and then the delorean in the past i think so yeah great agreed uh, and I just think that the DeLorean is just Doc's car. And Doc's like, well, I got a car. It's this. Yeah. Then the last thing that I think that I think it'd just be fun to talk about is, so at the very end, Marty is playing uh, Johnny Be Good. Oh. That's not going to work anymore. What song is our end of movie song? Oh, man, this is good. I have a couple pitches I'm going to throw out just to kind of, so you can, uh, the, the, the first one is kind of the one-to-one and he does Power of Love. Mm. But I felt like that was a little on the no- nose. So my two alternate pitches are uh, Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison or Metallica's Enter Sandman. <laughs> Although I think Enter Sandman comes out in the 90s. No, but that's, that's good. Because like the point of it was that um, it, wasn't, it wasn't out yet, the song. Uh, right. It was a, it was a new song because my pitch would be "Smells Like Teen Spirit." I was just gonna say "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and the, that, the that reason was the other one I had the reason is because it starts out relatively normal and then it gets weirder toward the end, and so you would be able to play to that moment of like, okay, I guess you're not ready for that yet. That yeah. that had been the other one I was considering, so I'm a hundred percent okay with "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and especially because "Smells Like Teen Spirit." pretty much moved us past 80s metal and moved us into grunge i think smells like teen spirit is the perfect song yeah then there we go you guys ready to recap this yeah take us through it okay we have back to the future the television series on netflix showrunners megan gans and chris mckenna marty mcfly will be played by Haley steinfeld george mcfly will be asa butterfield lorraine mcfly olivia cook jennifer who's going back in time with marty is kiersey clemens her parents in a brand new storyline will be lakeith stanfield and leticia wright strickland is andre bauer the tannins are timothy chalamet and Sydney Sweeney, Doc Brown is Jason Manzukis, and Zoe Dutch is in there someplace as Lorraine's friend. The Libyans are now Russians. Marty is and Jennifer are going back in time in the surprisingly spacious and fuel efficient cube that Allison <laughs> should let me own one day. Uh, but because it's probably a piece of shit, uh, it's going to be destroyed in time travel, and they're going to have to come back to the present in Doc Brown's DeLorean. Yes, wonderful, cool. I'd watch this. So Scott, thank you for taking time away from your very busy podcast schedule to podcast with. <laughs> sure. Um, can you tell our listeners uh, how they can find all of the great, great, uh, super cool deep dive podcasts that you do? Uh, you can find them all at DuelingGenre.com, uh, the, the podcast that I am the host of. I hosted uh, Past Tense, all 345 episodes of Back to the Future Minute, which you can find there and, you know, uh, podcast apps and whatnot. I also have uh, Time Travel Related. I've hosted The Doctor's Companion, a Doctor Who podcast since 2009. 
Um, wow. So uh, I've been doing that one for a really long time. We are uh, talking about every story from every doctor, one doctor at a time. Uh, and that was like a recent uh, reboot about a year ago. We started doing it this way. Um, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. We have recaps. So if you only know New Who, you can listen to this. And that's all you need to know because we do recaps of the episodes so that you can follow what we're, what we're talking about. Um, so check that out. That's The Doctor's Companion. Uh, Geek by Night, the original audio podcast series that Sam was, was, was uh, kind enough to promote earlier in the episode. And uh, yeah, all of the other stuff that I do. I, I'm currently the ho- co-host of Spider-Man Minute, uh, talking about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies one minute at a time. We did all of the first one, and now we're about to start on the second one. Uh, and then uh, also the Cornetto Minute, talking about the films of, uh, by Edgar Wright's. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Um, we've done all of Shaun of the Dead and coming later this year, we'll be doing Hot Fuzz and then eventually The World's End. So there it's you so go. so much fun. Yeah. And I, I hope it's not a spoiler, but Sam and I will be on Spider-Man Minute. And it was so insightful to break down the movie minute by minute and talk about sets and line delivery and everything. It's a really fun show. I'm, I'm, thank you for letting us be part of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is it sounds crazy when you just tell someone what it is. But then if you actually listen to it, you're like, oh, actually, this does make a lot of sense to do this. Um, It's just hard to sell people on it uh, originally because they just were like, that sounds like the most boring, insane. Like, what do you even talk about? And it turns out there's lots of things to talk about. Absolutely. And you are so insightful. When we did the episodes, I ended up just sitting back and listening to you talk. You really know your stuff. And uh, Thank you. As our listeners can tell by this Back to the Future episode. Yeah. And of course, that features past guest of your show, uh, Zach Luna, on the Princess Bride episode we keep referencing. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw Zach earlier this week on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I had to take a picture of the TV screen and post it on Facebook. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, and I liked that picture because it was yeah. a good one. Uh, and if anyone's interested in finding more about Mike, the sort of shows he's going to be doing and where he'll be performing and just the amazing things going on in his life, you should follow him on all forms of social media at Off the Mike, O-F-F-T-H-E-M-I-K-E. And Sam is at, at Sam Gash, G-A-S-C-H. Yep. Well, this has been another episode of Ideal Remake. And uh, we'll see you <laughs> next time because where we're going, we don't need roads. Boom. <laughs>